I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can. I'm a believer, not a doubter. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I am humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I am mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Y'all in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48. The Bible says these words, therefore, somebody say therefore. He says, therefore you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is. Somebody say perfect. You may be seated. But this is going to be our fifth sermon uh, that we have been dealing with in this series that we've just simply entitled In Pursuit of Perfection. And we said that uh, pursue means to chase after in order to overtake, uh, to, to strive for. In, in other words, when we strive for it, it is a goal or an aim. Now, perfection, I said from a biblical viewpoint, is to be complete and mature in various applications of labor, growth, mental, and moral character, to be blameless and upright, complete in integrity, whole and undivided, completely divided to God. It means serving God with a lawyer and sincere uh, uh, heart. And it also has the connotation to reach an end, to reach an end or to complete something or to become full grown. Somebody say full grown. We're going to look at that full grown piece a little bit today uh, uh, in, in the message. Now, as Christians, we realize perfection is the ideal and the aim where we strive to grow and mature to become more complete in Jesus. We realize that absolute perfection is beyond any human being, but we strive for it. It's the goal of the Christian life. Now, in this life, uh, we cannot completely be flawless. We understand that, amen? Because I know we got some flawed people in the house, myself included, amen? So we realize we can't completely be flawless all the time, but we aspire to be as much like Jesus as possible. Just because I know I can't be totally perfect here on earth, that don't mean I shoot for mediocrity. That don't mean I shoot for something below that. So even though I, I know I can't totally get there in this life, I'm still shooting for it. I'd rather shoot for that than to shoot for subpar. Amen. So, so the exhortation from Scripture encourages us to continue to strive for or pursue perfection in this life. Jesus expected from us, and we said that God himself expected from us. As his children, he don't want us to live subpar and substandard lives. Amen? But he wants us to strive to try to be mature and complete in him. And I'm going to show you today People that stand in my position and other positions of leadership where they teach and preach and evangelize, it's our responsibility to help you pursue perfection. It's our responsibility. We got we to make you want to pursue being like Jesus. Because if we don't, it's a possibility that we won't pursue it. And so what we want to look at today, you know, uh, 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 we're going to take some time to just look at some of the things that God would have us to do. Now, let me just briefly hit on last week. You know, last week, uh, we, which was Resurrection Sunday, we focused on Jesus. So that's why we got away from the main theme on us, but we put it on him, and we made the case that he is the perfect Savior. Y'all remember that? And we said that he was born perfect, that he lived and carried out his ministry per- perfectly. Even demons recognized him as the Holy One of God. 
And we prove through the scriptures by examining the text to understand that he was the perfect sacrifice. And we close with the perfect resurrection followed by the perfect ascension culminating with him being the perfect high priest. If y'all remember that, seated at the right hand and now he's interceding for us. So he, he's still working. Amen. So he didn't start working just because last week was Easter. He's still working. Amen. And so we got to understand that we serve a God and we got a Savior now who is sitting up there working on your behalf, even though we just celebrated his resurrection last week. So he's been working all the time. and He continues to work. And we got to keep that in mind that as he's working, he is praying and he's believing that we're going to try to believe what this passage in Matthew said. It's in red. He said it. Therefore, you shall be. Now, he could have picked another word. And I know the definition, how we use it, they scare people. But he could have easily said, man, I don't want to put that on my children's mind. Let me just put something else there and let them shoot for that. He said that. You shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. You know, I want to make this lesson today, this first part of this, uh, Go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse uh, 11, and I'm going to read 7, 11 through chapter 7, verse 1. In order for this passage to really resonate in your spirit and for you to receive it and accept it, you're going to have to put in the mind uh, that a conversation that a parent would have with a child. Now, most of you all in here that got children, you know that when they are young, you choose their friends. Hey Amen. Don't you y'all know when they learn to go to the playground, you try to go play with Johnny, go play with this one. But when they hit teenagers, they want to choose their friend. But that don't release you of the responsibility of trying to help them choose the right friends. And a lot of times during that process, they think you're trying to hold them back instead of you showing them love. So instead of them receiving what you're trying to give to them as love, they're saying, you're just trying to keep me from being myself. You just don't like my friend. Well, you may see something in their friend that they don't see. Now, most of the time, some of our kids will listen to that instruction, especially when they're teenagers and listen. But some of them going to hear what you say and do what they want to do. But that don't mean that you stop trying to get them to listen to your instruction. And so sometimes Paul, because he loved this church so much, he loved the Corinthian church, he saw that they were starting to team up with some bad folk. You know, if your son starts to teaming up or your daughter starts teaming up with people that is in games, wouldn't you try to talk about it? I mean, if you could, wouldn't you say, you know, that may not be the best life for you? Now, if they choose it anyway, I think that do free your mind up a little bit to at least know that I gave them what I thought God would have me to tell them. I think all parents have to have that conversation with their children when they get to a certain age. Because if you don't, then you may be held accountable for the stupidness that they may do. You want the blessing when they do good, you got to accept stupid too. Especially if you didn't tell them that's stupid. But you just, nah, I'm going to let them do them. I'm going to let them be themselves. No. That ain't how relationship works. You want the best for your children. 
Amen? So when I read this, you got to put that mindset into Paul's place right here that he wants the best for these people. But when he reads this and he tells them these things, it's easy to see how they could bow up against them. Like your children sometimes. You know, all teenagers go through that bow up phase. They do it one time. You know, depending on how you handle it, whether they do it again. You know, but they all going to bow up one time. You know, I bowed up. I was a good little kid, but I bowed up. I just got that, to that point that I was going to bow up. You ain't going to tell me what to do now. I'm just going to bow up. And, and I didn't realize that if my granddaddy hadn't been there, my daddy probably would have killed me for bowing. Because I bowed up and said some stuff that he wasn't ready to hear. But I was 14 years old. I'm thinking, I, I'm betting that I run with a group of guys to say, hey, man, you're just as big as your daddy now. So when I'm trying to help somebody here, say, look, when you get to that point and your parents are trying to give you wise advice, don't bow up. Try to listen to them. And parents, when your children get to that age where you need to give them that advice, don't shy away from them because you think they ain't going to love you. At some point in time, they ain't gonna, they gonna love you, but they ain't gonna love you like they did when they were three and four, five, and six. When they get to be teenagers, you're gonna feel like their friends have more impact and relate on, on their lives than you do. Their friends can call anytime and they stop and answer and go, and you call and they just ghost you or whatever, don't even call you back. I mean, you got to understand that. But, but when you understand that, that makes you want to sit them down and say, look, I just want to have this honest conversation with you. I know you like June Bug, but I done been checking on him. June Bug is destined for the penitentiary. It's just a matter of time. It ain't no matter if, it's just when. And I'm trying to help you so that you don't end up in there with June Bug. You just don't like it. You just you're hating on my friend. You just a hater. No, you hating. I just don't want to see you in pinstripes. Now, some of them are going to heed that warning, and then others are going to rebel against that, and then they're going to stop showing you love. And you're going to get a body clothes. I do this. And I do that. It's just a phase. You got to stay the course. And so I'm sure Paul felt like that when he was writing this to the Corinthians. Y'all in chapter. 6 of 2 Corinthians, starting about verse 11. Because he was trying to get them to understand that, man, they had to pursue this thing called holiness. Somebody say holiness. In the church, this is tough to come behind victory unless I can show you how there's victory in being holy. Because <laughs> some people don't like to hear this holiness part of Perfection. Because it means that I have to evaluate my life, my surroundings, and everything that I'm involved with to see does it come against me striving for this thing called holy. Yes. Most churches don't even talk about holiness no more. You know, there's a generation of kids that don't even know what holy means. Because they never hear it coming from the pulpit, in the that's why I was so glad we got back to, I'm thanking Brother Dave for that for testimony. There's a generation of kids that never seen a testimony before. 
They go to church, they never hear nobody talk about how good God has been and what he's doing in their lives. Because we got them thinking on other things instead of believing that they can overcome by the words of someone's testimony. So this was a tough message to give to the Corinthians. Can I start reading? And y'all put yourself in this position as you talking to your child or if your mama or dad was talking to you back then, back in the day, when they was trying to keep you on the right track. And that's what he's trying to do to these people, trying to keep them on the right track. He says this in verse 11, Oh, dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. Look, when you talk to your children, nine out of ten times, you don't lie to them. I mean, nine out of ten times. I, I, I want to say ten out of ten, but some parents do lie, do believe. But I want to say nine out of ten, you're trying to be honest with them. You're giving them your honest assessment of what you see in Junebug and what Junebug is headed. And you got evidence to say other Junebugs have did the same thing. And if we don't change this behavior, you're going to end up like all the rest of the Junebugs. And so you, you're giving them your honest assessment. You're not lying to them. You're just trying to speak honest to them. And sometimes when God is trying to speak to you, he's just being honest with you. And you got to be open enough to receive honest feedback from God. He says, our hearts are open to you because I love you. Look at this. He says, therefore, there's no lack of love on our part. But you have withheld your love from us. In other words, them little rascals now that they're teenagers, don't come and hug you like they did. They ain't hanging on your little legs and all that no more. They may not even speak to you when they come in the house. Gone to their room, you know, act like you ain't exist, you know. They just don't show you the love like you want to get, you know. He is growing up now. I, Mama ought to know I love her. I don't need to go talk to her about no love. And, and she's showing me love because she's still buying me stuff, still giving me up, doing this for me, doing that for me. But in return, I expect that from her, but I don't reciprocate it. We expect certain things from God when he shows us love, but do we reciprocate that love back? So Paul said, look, man, we've been showing you guys love. Our heart has been wide open to you, but you have withdrawn your love. Now I ask you to just clean your room, and you look at me like I'm crazy. You look like I'm speaking a foreign language to you. And, And I just said, clean your room. That's all I said. And I'm trying to say it in love. You just don't understand. That's what parents have to do. And that's what God has to do with us. Because sometimes we don't see simple instruction from God as being love toward us. So he said, now we done showed you love, but now you don't withheld your love from us. And some of y'all growing up withheld y'all love from y'all parents when y'all got upset with them. When I leave here, I ain't never come back. <laughs> left home, didn't even write your mom and dad no letters or nothing. I mean, just left. They're gone. All they did for you just washed away. Now you gone, you ain't even call them. Your love had grown cold. And see, what happened is, if love can grow cold toward a parent, then your same love, that same love will grow cold toward God. He says... I am asking you to respond if, if you were my own children. Somebody say children. children. Open your hearts to us. I can see some of y'all plead with y'all children right now. Please listen, baby. Mama just trying to tell you what right. Please 
please listen to me. Open your heart up to hear what I'm trying to tell you. I know you don't understand it, but I see some things right now that you don't see. And because of that, I don't want you to fall into a trap that I can help you get out of or keep you from falling in. But if you don't open your heart up to receive what I'm trying to give you, then you're going to listen to what I'm saying and do what you want to do, and then you're going to end up in that trap. And guess who you're going to call on when you get there? You know, I used to disobey my mama all the time, but I never forget, I was out playing football one day, and I got hurt real bad. And the first person I said, y'all, go get my mama. <laughs> go, get, go get my mama. That was just, y'all, go get my mama. Man. Cause, cause look at her. I'm in pain. I know she don't want somebody to go. I ain't calling my daddy. Go get mine. But that's the same mama that I disobeyed. But now that I find myself in a situation where I need her, then I'm going to realize what her role is in my life. He says, now look, I'm asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. Now this is where it gets dicey because this is don'tology. No kid like to hear don'tology. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't. You just teaching don'tology 404. I, I don't want to. <laughs> well, Paul put some don'ts here. Is it all right if I just read what he said? It comes from the Bible. So when your children tell you, don't use no don't, don't just, you're just negative. You just talk negative. Well, I'm just saying, the folk you're hanging with are negative, so I got to just deal with it. Now look at this. He used some powerful terms. He said, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Oh, you're trying to choose my friends now. Trying to tell me who I can run with. Yeah, I sure am. That's my job. I'm trying to tell you to run with the right folks. Now, you choose them, but let me take a look at them too so we can make sure you ain't teaming up. It, ain't, it didn't say you couldn't know them. I played football on a team with some guys that I didn't hang with after we got out of practice. We were on the same team, but we weren't teamed up. We weren't yoked together because we had different roles after football practice over. We had different lifestyles. We did things different, but we had a common interest where it was football. And so therefore, in life, you're going to have interests that you may be t working with people that may not be saved, may not be church-minded. That's okay. But you ain't got to be team. And the analogy here is like you team up two animals and put them together under the same yoke. That's why some of your Bibles say don't be unequally. You can't hook up with just everybody in some partnerships and things you do. And your parents can sometimes see that before you can. They may know some history about Junebug's family. And if he don't change his way, he's going to end up like the rest of them. They got a history. And what I'm trying to tell you, I don't want you to be a part of that. Don't team up. And I know some of our young folks now, you tell them that. Where they from? Don't team. Who, do you even know who your children are teaming up with online? Do you even know? They living right in your house. Do you even know who they are teaming up with? Because they could be teaming up with some folks that are teaching them some stuff that you ain't teaching them. In your very own 
I know this ain't going to go well, and your kids ain't going to want to hear it if you try to tell them. I just want to know who you're teaming up with. I ain't going to try to get you off the team yet, but I'm going to definitely try to say, if that's a bad connection, I'm going to do my best to make sure that you don't get hurt in that connection. That's my responsibility as a parent. And I'm not going to let that responsibility go because I don't want to hurt your feelings. I want to make sure that you're happy, but at the same time, I want to make sure you're free. Don't team up with unbelievers. <laughs> then he says, how can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? Team up, partner with? Those are simple questions to answer. But the average person that's living in the flesh don't want to hear that. What that got to do with it? Righteousness, partner with wickedness. Because if the partnership is unequal, Wickedness going to have you doing wicked. You know, most of the time we did things because we were influenced by folk. You know, most of y'all wasn't brought up wanting to smoke no weed. And do weed, I mean, somebody influenced you. Somebody introduced you to that. Now, I know all y'all wasn't weed heads, but this is a good possibility. That some of y'all done hit a, had a drag or two. It's a good possibility. And so now, if you know your experience, and then when your child gets to your, that age, and you feel like they finna try that, aren't you gonna try to say, wait, hold on. But if you wanna learn the hard way like I did, that's fine, but I'm gonna try to tell you, you don't have to learn all lessons are hard. He says, now, how can righteousness be a partner with wickedness, and how can light live with darkness? What harmony? Somebody say harmony. Can that be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living. As God has said, I will live in them, relationship, and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. God is saying, if you want to be my people, I want to have a say-so in who you hang with. That's all he's saying. Hey, you go out and choose your friend, but let, let me run them through the test. You can choose them, but if I say, I don't like that one, that one may cause you some problems down the road. You got to be open enough and receive the love that I'm trying to give to be willing to separate yourself from. I know that's hard to do. It was hard for all of us. And so therefore, some of us learned those lessons the hard way. We just glad that on the night that everybody else got caught, we didn't. <laughs> you know, I mean, because I done been in some situations where I should have been in jail too, but I just didn't get. And that not getting caught was a wake-up call to me to say, after I saw what happened with the ones who went, I said, okay, I got it. I know what granddaddy trying to get me to see now. I don't want none of that. 
So I, I was fortunate enough to not end up there because I was hanging with some bad people. But at that time, I didn't know, Cliff, that I was the temple of God. Now look at this. In church, we're always talking about how demons possess folk. Why are we always talking about what God is possessing? It's easy to start a conversation about somebody being, ooh, they demon-possessed. I see the little demon on them. But then can you say, is they God-possessed? Can I see the God in them? Because the Holy Spirit is in them, and God said, I want to be their father. I want to have this relationship, and I will be with them, and they will be my people. So we jump on the demon thing, because, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. oh, I see them, they got a little demon on them. Well, let's recognize the God in people. Man, come on, we ain't trying to make no living off demons. We trying to get folks saved. We want folks to know who Jesus is. So look here, we need to make sure that we can see the God in people. Look for the God in people just like you look for the demon in them. He says, now look, in verse 17, he says, Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them. Then the Lord says the Lord, do not touch their filthy, somebody say filthy, thing. Don't not touch, man. Don't you know some stuff out there that we used to do is just filthy? You know, y'all don't all have a filthy moment. Just filthy. Just, just nasty. Just. And God is saying, hey, don't, don't touch it. Man, you see it's nasty. You know Don't touch it. But sometimes filth look good and inviting to some folk. They can be deceived and think that filth is not filth. <laughs> sometimes you ought to just be able to smell it and know. You don't need another confirmation. If I can smell it, I ain't going to touch it. Y'all can fill in that blank yourself. I'm just talking about the kids here. If you, just, if you can smell it, I don't need to get no closer to it. Well, let me just use food. Because <laughs> I, I was about to go hood on y'all right there for a minute. But I, let me just use food. You know, Cliff, you go to the refrigerator, and you open up the container on something, and poof. Something on the inside, I say, I ain't eating that. I ain't going to even sample that. <laughs> I want to taste it. Let me see. Let me just taste it. See, no, I don't smell it. And see, some things that when you can smell it, you ain't got to get too close to it. But I can smell you from twin feet. I ain't going to let you get two feet from me. I'm going to keep some distance between me and you. Why? Because I don't want to come in contact with the filth. Now, it's different if you out there ministering and God doesn't call you to go minister to people that is in those states. That's fine. But that ain't calling you to be yoked up with them. He says, now look at this, look at relationship, verse 18. He says, and I will be your father, relationship, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Relationship, I'm going to receive you and I'm going to adopt you into my family. And now look at this, verse 7, chapter 7, verse 1, is, is a, should be in part of chapter 6, because in most Bibles it start off with the word, therefore. 
He says, therefore, because we have these promises, what is the promises? That God will be our father and we will be his son and daughter and he will dwell in us as dear friends. Look, he said, because we have these promises, dear friend, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. Ooh, that stopped me right there in my track. So that thing about filthiness can be twofold. Sometimes it can be a physical thing outward on the body, but sometimes we can have a filthy mind. In our conscience, our mind, the things that we think, our imagination, the things that we allow to go through our head can be... You know, God knows you're going to have a filthy thought every now and then. Amen. You ain't perfect. You're going to have one every now and then. But he said when it comes, you got to do what? Got to cast out. You got to take it captive. And then you got to get rid of it. You can't entertain it and let it stay there because it'll multiply. And so he understands that, but he still put this in here because he's trying to get us to see that, hey, I want you to shoot for holiness. I don't want you to shoot for filthy. I don't want you to shoot and be yoked up. Now, I know a lot of times people use this passage of scripture when it comes to marriage, you know, and, and very seldom do I use it if you already married. Because you done married the mess. And I ain't finna tell you how to divorce the mess unless that's grounds. You just ain't happy? That ain't grounds. Is he doing this to you? Is he doing that? Then that's grounds. But now I gotta teach you how to live with the mess and try to clean up. But if you come to me before you marry the mess, I'm gonna say, I smell something. Now you can take my advice, or you don't have to. But I can just say, hey, I, I smell something. This don't. Just don't, yeah, it don't pass the smell test, Cliff. It just don't, just don't, just don't pass the smell test. But if you decide you want to get married anyway, I'm going to let you get married. I ain't going to try to stop you. But then I'm not going to encourage you to divorce somebody after you done made that choice. Because then now I'm beginning you to violate another part of the Bible. I should have did that before you got married. So God wants us to be Somebody say holy. Y'all ain't got to be scared to say it. Today is about holy. He said, look, God wants us to be holy because he's holy and he wants us to shoot for it. He said we got to perfect holiness. It's a perfecting process. So we're not there yet, but we keep shooting for it. We keep shooting for it. We'd rather shoot for holy than to shoot for unholy. I mean, why should we make unholy the target? When God is telling us, hey, look, I want you to perfect holiness. I want you to try to do those things so that I can be your father and you can be my child. And then when you start trying to perfect holiness, that's the only way the Holy Spirit can be in you. But if you don't see yourself as a temple that the Spirit of God dwells in, then you will violate you and don't even know. Just violate you. And when you violate you, you violating God. Oh, let me move on. I, this is a choir one today, man. I, I, the victory song. Come on, victory, come in here somewhere. We got to get a victory in holiness. Amen. 
That's all I can tell you right there. Ain't no easy way to give you that. See, there ain't no easy way to have this conversation with your children. I don't care how you try to slice it up and dice it up, take them out to dinner, take them to the park and sit down and talk to them. When you start talking about who they're friends with, ain't no easy conversation there. No matter how you try to make it pretty, because they know little Juju, and they like Juju, and you don't. And so now you don't make no difference what we're eating here, eating this, doing this. You still trying to tell me not to talk to Juju. And I just ain't feeling you right now, Ma. Dad, I ain't. But I think God will bless you if you fulfill your obligation as a parent to have those honest conversations with your children. Don't let the world teach your children. Because if you don't teach them, the world will. If you don't teach them, the cartoons on television will. And cartoons on television now are getting very political and they're getting very this, that, and other. They got a little bit of everything in cartoons now. Cartoon, Deputy Dog, and all that stuff. We used to watch, ain't the same no more. The Sesame Street that you used to watch ain't the same. Sesame Street, the little Elmo in the game. It ain't the same. I'm just saying. Now, I ain't got no problem with you letting them watch Elmo and the gang and all of them, but you better interject some stuff in there. Let me move on. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13 real quick. This is short. Paul loved this church so much, man, and, and, and it's distasteful sometimes when you have to try to help your children because you want the best for them. You do it out of love. And so, therefore, he had such deep love for this church. On his way out, he gave them their final little command. In chapter 13, verse 11 and 12, his final appeal is for them to be complete, to be perfect, to grow up. But he put a lot of other little things in here with this that I think will help the church today. He says this in verse 11 and 12. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these words. Be joyful. Somebody say, be joyful. I know I've been talking about a tough subject, but y'all cheer up. Can we take a praise break right here? I'm, I'm through with the other part. Because right now, y'all ain't look like ain't no, ain't no praise in none of y'all right now. No, no, no. I, Adrian, I ain't feeling no praise. I ain't feeling no worship. I feel that. This, you, done, you done dumped all that castor oil on us, and now you want us to come up and give God some praise? Yeah, because castor oil is good for you. It don't taste good going down, but it got a purpose when it get down in your lungs and on the inside of you. It can help you. So let's give God some praise for a little bit of cast on today. Amen. Give us some praise. Amen. Be joyful. I know sometimes when you get messages like that, it's not joyful, but you got to find joy in it anyway. So he's saying to the church, y'all be joyful. Then he says, Grow in maturity. Somebody, some of your Bible said be perfect right there. But he's talking about, hey, grow in maturity. Anybody that's in the body of Christ, we ought to want to see brothers and sisters grow. We don't want to see people grow stunted and they're the same person that they were 10 years ago, 15 years ago. No, man, something ought to be changed in our life. We got to encourage each other to grow. And growth, talk, I'm talking about spiritually growing in the Lord so that we get a better understanding of who you are. You don't want to be at the same level. The guy told us yesterday on the phone conversation that we have with the men. Man, if you read a pastor of scripture two weeks from now and you see the only the same thing in it, 
then the possibility you are not growing. Because God can speak to you in different parts of that word based upon your level of maturity. So therefore, don't get, don't get tired of reading. I think he used 23rd Psalm. I grew up on the 23rd Psalm in school. We had to memorize that every morning before we start school. That was it. You had to recite the 23rd Psalm and then say a Bible verse. So we grew up with that. And I thought I knew all I need to know because Ms. McCall taught that thing every day. Every day. Now, some of your kids don't even know what scripture is in school unless they go to a Christian school. But we had to do it back then. So guess what? Because they took it out of school, then they need to get it at your house. They need to get the 23rd Psalm at your table. Amen. So he said, look, I want you to grow up. You want your children to grow up. And you want them to mature. And as they start to mature, you want to encourage them in their growth. Because growing is a process. So he said, look, grow to maturity. Then he says, encourage each other. you got to know how to encourage each other during tough times, during trials, when trials and tribulations come in our lives. we got to know how to encourage each other. Then he says, live in harmony, live in peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. When you do those things, then he said, God going to show up and be right there with you. His love and his peace going to be with you. Then he said, just greet each other in Christian love. Just, man, just simple. You know, some of the old Bibles say, you know, a holy hug, but they cut the holy hugs out. So you just kind of greet each other. But in the old days, people used to hug each other in church, but COVID don't let us hug. And then craziness stopped hugging. But you can at least speak. You can at least speak to one another. You can at least be speak. Just, just speak. Just say how you're doing. And seen you. You know, we, we, we come to church and sometimes we don't greet each other with Christians. Man, we follow those things, not just in the church, but in your family. Man, and I'm guilty of this. My grandson been living with me for a year, and sometimes I can come home and I don't see him for three days. And we live in the same. He buried on a part of the house I don't even want to go to. He don't even come to who I am unless it's eating time. But he do most of that without me. He don't need me to eat because he don't figure that thing out. But what I'm trying to say is that I got to do a better job Agreeing the young fella called, we on two different wavelengths. And unless I greet him and talk to him, I'm never going to connect. So I get comfortable just say, hey, I'm going to go sit in my chair. I ain't going up there to look for it. He know I'm here. I got to go to, hey, how you doing? But Keisha, sometimes when I just ask him, how you doing? He think I'm finna interrogate him. He won't, he won't even answer how you're doing. He won't know what you want, what you want, what I do wrong. What did, I mean, all I'm asking this time is just, how are you? So we got to learn how to, what do you mean, poor child? Who that, Jesse, you always saying, poor <laughs> We got to learn how to greet one another, Amen. Now go to Ephesians. Y'all having fun today. I thought it was going to be tough, but y'all don't figure this thing out. Go to, go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 
4. Ephesians chapter 4, and this is my last term. There's a lot of things in here that I want to just make sure that we understand in this. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, this passage, uh, 11 through 16, it shows that the responsibility of ministers of the gospel is to perfect the saints by, by striving to bring them to a point of Christian maturity where they can serve God in ministry. And the goal is to measure up to the full and complete standards of Jesus Christ. So that's our goal. When you come to church and you're part of ministry, if the aim is to challenge you, to teach you, to nurture you, and encourage you to grow to the fullness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And God, and through Jesus Christ, he left people to do that. Now, this list don't include all the folks in the church that have positions or titles or whatever you want to call them, because if you go to Romans chapter 12, he lists other ministries or gifts, and if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he lists others there. Some of these are listed in both places, but there's another list that talks about helps, the gifts of helps, the the administration, things of that nature. But here, he just looks like he talks about the one that deals with the people. Now, I will say this before I start reading this now. There's not widespread agreement in the Christian world whether or not all these gifts are necessary today. Some, some believe that, you know, when the Bible was written and everybody had access to it after the first century or whenever things started to come together, you no longer needed prophets and apostles. If they didn't walk with Jesus, you didn't need them to go out and do it. But people today, I say it like this. If you are doing what the definition called for, put whatever title you want on your name. But don't call yourself apostle if you ain't started nothing. I mean, you're you still sitting in your living room, and you ain't went nowhere, ain't, left, ain't, ain't went 100 miles from your house. Now you tell me, you just slapped on, I'm a pastor, such and such. No, you ain't. I mean, you got to go start something. Now, maybe you can start them online now, Keisha. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. You may be able to go plant some churches online and start some churches online and all that. And if you're doing that, you want to call yourself apostle? Fine. If you want to edify and build people up with the word of God and then foretell things or speak in their life, and you see yourself with a prophetic ministry, that's fine. But sooner or later, it's going to verify itself because what you say got to come to pass. So I, I don't care what people call themselves. If they're doing what the Bible defines that position is, then put whatever, whatever label you want to put on it. So when I read this, Jesus was wise enough to say, hey, the people that's going to be in my body are going to need to be taught. They're going to need to be challenged. They're going to need to be told how they need to grow up to the fullness of my stature, not man's stature. Somebody got to do that. And if they do it right, then guess what? The body will be blessed. If they do it wrong, the body going to be a mess. So look at this. In verse 11, he says, Now these gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. We don't get arguments right there with evangelists. A lot of people... Don't have no problem with traveling preachers, calling themselves evangelists. They don't have no problem there. Then pastors, no problem with that. And teachers, those three, very little argument. The first two, yeah, you're going to get a debate depending on who you talk to. Like I said, yeah, my position is, hey, Cliff, if you don't start a 6-7 church and you want to be Apostle Cliff, go for it. Go for it. But if you ain't starting nothing, don't just slap a title on just to have a title and no ministry. 
He gave these gifts to the church, which is his body, so the church can be glorified, so the church and his body can be glorified. And so look at this thing here. Their responsibility, somebody say responsibility. The five folk that he lists up there, their responsibility is to equip God's people. Some of your Bibles say to perfect the saints. So it is our job to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, which is the body of Christ. It's our job is to teach you what this word say, to live this word before you, and to encourage you to do what God's calling you to do, to do the work that he's calling you. Maybe you're not in an office here that's identified, but maybe your job is to serve. Maybe your job is to help. Your job is to do this. Whatever the Lord is calling you to do, we're here to encourage you so that you do what you're called to do. You're on a team. You're teamed up with other believers, now not unbelievers. So therefore, when we was teamed up with unbelief, we worked with them. Come on now. But now that we come in and team up with believers, we don't want to work with each other. So he's saying, look, he put these people in the church so that they can equip us so that we'll know how to work together and build up the body of Christ. Not just a particular church, but the entire body of Christ. So he gave these positions. He said, now look, this will continue until we come to such a unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. I am mature? Huh? That ain't enough statement just to be there. You ain't in no ministry called striving for perfection just to be here. You're here to grow up, to mature, to become complete in who God has called you to. So that you will measure up to the full and complete standard, not of Pastor Bolden, but of Jesus Christ. He is the one that we are measuring. See, this is where I get, get, find a problem with some folk. You measure yourself against the wrong standard. So therefore, we have this tendency to make ourselves look good, to measure ourselves against someone who is less than we are. So therefore, if I measure myself against an inferior believer, then that make me look better, but I'm not where God wants me to be because I am not in the place that I should be because I think I have arrived because I'm measuring myself against Cliff and he's down here and I'm up here and then now I'm going to stop right here when I realize that the standard is Jesus Christ. He's still up there. Stop measuring your Christian growth against somebody that you done outgrew. Oh, I'm so much better than them. Than now. You know, I done stopped drinking now, girl. I done, I done stopped the drinking now. I don't even smoke no more. You know, I don't even cut back on my club. I don't even club that much no more. You know what I mean? I, I, don't, I, don't, cut down. I don't even change my diet. I'm eating right now. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get all this stuff together, you know. But who am I measuring myself against? I'm measuring myself somebody who's eating themselves to death still. I'm better than this person right here. They still, they still eating cake and candy and all that meat and all that. I know, well, I'm measuring myself against the wrong standard. I need to be measuring myself against Jesus. Am I where he wants me to be at this stage in my growth? And so he's saying, look, it's our job to train you and to teach you and bring you up so that you will grow to the fullness of Christ so that you can complete that standard. He is the standard. So when we come to church and we never talk about him, we never talk about holiness, we never talk about a righteous standard, then that means we measure ourselves against a subpar standard. 
Now, why is that important? Because we go back to your children. How many of you want your children to be immature all their life? I mean, you don't want to have no 35-year-old acting like they were 12, 13, still in your house. 35 years old. Ain't no problem being there, but you got to at least act like you've grown. You can't still act like a child. And so what I'm trying to get you to see here is that, man, at some point in time as Christian, we got to get out of babyhood. We can't be babies all the time. We got to grow up. And as we grow, so that we will not be immature children. Immature children make bad decisions. They make mistakes. They make baby mistakes. So he's saying, look, it's to your interest, best interest, to grow up. Because if you can grow up and become more mature, you'll make wiser decisions. You'll deliberate a little bit longer on some things before you just haul off and... Deliberation is a part of growing up. Some of y'all just want to do something too fast. You just need to slow down, think it through, look at it in 3D, and ask God to show you. He said, now look at this. Then we will no longer be immature children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. <laughs> I love when these little baby Christians run here. Ooh, I done heard this and this is brand new. This is fresh. Fresh. That been there. New to you because you didn't know. Anything new to you if you don't know nothing. I mean, come on, man. Oh, this is so fresh. This is a fresh teaching. Well, you ain't been taught nothing. Everything going to be fresh to you. Once you start learning, you're going to say, oh, y'all heard that. I, I got that. I understand that. Now, you got a, a, a different light that you want to share and give me a different perception of it. I got it. But, but don't try to make this something like God done sitting down a new revelation. You know, the, new, the new revelation is right here. You read this and understand this, you'll understand every revelation that they send down to you. You don't know what's in here, then everything is new. And then when everything is new, you're going to jump with the new shining object. I'm over here this week. Oh, I done flipped the channel 56. Or I'm following him on Twitter. Now they Twitter hopping. <laughs> Twitter, Twitter, just Twitter hopping from one preacher to this preacher to that preacher. Just Twitter hopping. Don't know. Oh, I heard something new. You ain't heard that. You ain't read what you learned yesterday. Just Twitter hopping. Stream hopping. What the hop they hop out there online? How they hop now? Just hop. <laughs> and they hop till they find someone that tell them what they want to. Just hopping. Just church hopping online. <laughs> One week I listened to Pastor over here on Holy Today. Nope. Let me go on up here to North Carolina. Click. Let me click in North Carolina. Let me, let me go out here to Dallas, Texas and click in on Dallas, Texas. They ain't talking Holy Today. I want to go out there where they talking, Victory is mine. Victory is mine. I want to go to the guy who won't tell me about victory today because I want to hear some victory. I don't want to hear holy on my way to victory. I just want to hear the... I want my victory and I went back without being holy. 
This wasn't in my notes. I hope y'all know that. Ain't no way I could write all this kind of stuff out. It just happened. I just had to believe that somebody needed to hear. He said, now look, man, you gotta, can't be immature all your life. You can't be tossed around by every new teaching that come along. Because it ain't new. Then he says, we would not be influenced when they try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. See, you know Junebug is a liar. And you're just trying to tell your child, Junebug trying to trick you. He's lying to you. And, but what happens is, if I am being influenced by Junebug more than I am about you, then my love is going to shift toward Junebug and I'm going to be cold toward and then now when Junebug tell me to come on and start wearing the colors and get my arm tattoo, you tell me don't, but Junebug say, I, I got to do it. Because Junebug say, this is the thing to do when you get my age. You join a gang. You do. You identify with a group. And I'm just trying to say, hey, you need to be trying to introduce them to the Christian gang. Do we need to go out and get some symbols and put on them? We got a cross. Do we need something else? What kind of signs y'all want the Lord to use so you'll know you're in the right gang, you're in Jesus Christ's gang of Christians, you ain't out there in the street? There are too many people today, it hurt my heart when I see people being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, everything comes. And a lot of time, by the time their eyes are open up, they've been taken advantage of, they've been tricked. Because when you don't know the truth, the lie sound like true. I'm almost done. He says, instead, we speak the truth in love. Now, that's a tough one right there. We speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Jesus Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Now, Speaking the truth in love is difficult because sometimes we mess it up. They got to be done together. You got to be able to speak truth, but you got to be able to speak it in a loving way. Sometimes we speak truth, but we speak it harshly. And when we speak truth harshly, then the person is not going to receive it. But on the other time, we are so loving that we are afraid to speak truth because we don't want to offend or hurt no one's feelings. But the Bible here says it can be done together. You can speak the truth and you can do it in a loving manner. And when you do that, it will be better received. We all can use some lesson on how to speak the truth. You don't have to beat the truth into most people. You just speak it in a loving way. And sometimes, if you just listen long enough, some people will come to the truth if we listen. But we are obligated to speak the truth. We can't run away from the truth of God's word because somebody don't want to hear it. You can't run away from speaking truth to your children because they don't want to. He says this. Verse 16, he makes the whole body fit. Somebody say perfectly. He makes the whole body fit perfectly. 
As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So he's saying here that if we get the picture, as I close this, if we get the picture of he's trying to paint here, Jesus Christ is the head of this body. And this body is made up of many parts. But it's only got him as the head. And so therefore, it needs hands, and it needs feet, and it needs eyes, and it needs ears, and it needs all those things, but they don't separate themselves to function. They all function under the head in one unified body. Even though they have different roles and different functions and different things to do, they all make the body successful. They all make the body work together perfectly so it can do what it's designed to do. And it's the same way in the church. We all have different roles and different functions, but we come under one head, and the game plan is to make that head look good all the time. We want to make Jesus look good all the time. And we do that when we work together as hands and feet and whatever it is your role is, whether you sing, whether you usher, whether you greet, whether you cook, whether you do the film ministry, all that stuff. Whatever it is you do, you make a contribution to the body. Every joint supplies something. And it serves a purpose. You know, even I didn't realize just how important fingernails were until I smashed one in a car door and had to watch it come off. Painful process. And now, as I watch it grow back, I am amazed at how would God put that in the body. I mean, how, what it had to be a God that can do something like that to let you look at something grow back to the place that it was original at, even though the other one was gone, but God had the ability to bring it back to its rightful place. What I'm trying to tell you is there are people out there who'd have been broke off for whatever reason, but God got the ability to bring them back to their rightful place. We just need to be here to receive them when God brings them back because they fit in the... We can't get offended by who the head called. It is the head that makes the decision of what comes into his body. Our job is to welcome them in and treat them right and treat them with love. And when we do that, I'm done, the body will function in a unified, loving way. And the world will see that and know that Jesus is real because he is the head of the body. Amen? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. 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 Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We've got several appeals we want to make before we dismiss today and move on in our service. My first appeal is for salvation. If you're here and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, he is the head of the, the body, his church. And so therefore we extend the invitation from him to you to come to be a part of his body. If you're online and you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we want to extend that invitation to you as well. If you're here, just please raise your hand. If you're online, we just ask that you give us a call here to church, 850-862-3899. Someone would gladly take your call.
I see no hands raised in my second appeal is for church membership. If you're here and you're looking for a church home, if you're online and you want to be a part of a church ministry, please raise your hand. Or if you're online, I'm sorry, you want to be a part. If you're in-house or you want to be a member, again, you can call the same number. And then my last appeal is just for our, our prayer time. Uh, if you've got a prayer concern, I ask that you just lift that up to God now. I'll make a general prayer for you. You can pray for yourself at your seats or at your home or however you're listening. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you for being God and being God all by yourself. We thank you for your word, God, which we know is true. And we thank you even for the message that you want us to teach, God, when it pertains to holiness and being holy because you are holy. God, we declare that we're going to shoot for that standard even though we may error, even though we make mistakes on the way, God, we're not going to change your standard. We're going to still try to be like your son, Jesus Christ, because he is the example that we look up to, and we thank you for giving us a pattern that we can look up to and we can follow. And I just ask that you just move on our hearts, God, and show us how we can continue to grow into the fullness of his stature. There's something you're speaking to our hearts right now, God, that will take us up another level in our relationship with you and your son, Jesus Christ. And I just pray, God, that all those things that you are speaking in our heart will be manifested in our lives. And when it's all said and done, God, we'll give you all praise, we'll give you all honor, we'll give you all glory. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. And everybody say amen. amen. Say amen again.